I think it's just key to do what comes naturally because, you know, with a personal brand, again, it requires a lot of discipline. It's something that will take years to pay off. So like if you need to be comfortable in the medium that you choose, you shouldn't be forcing yourself to do certain things you don't understand or you don't like doing. So yeah, I think just kind of focusing on the smaller number, but higher kind of impact communication with each follower and in a channel that suits you. And in terms of the actual platforms, again, we see them new platforms popping up all the time. I don't think there's a clear, clear window of like what it's gonna where it's gonna go, but just kind of you know, reading the tech news and seeing if you want to be an early adopter of one or the other, that's what I would recommend. In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. Folks, we have a super interesting episode of Forever Employable Stories. This time, the story that we're going to tell is not necessarily of someone who has been out there and sharing their expertise for a long time and building their career and their forever employability based on that, but rather somebody who's been incredibly successful in a relatively short amount of time and is now embarking on sharing that experience and building that personal brand and building that thought leadership in the hopes of expanding that success in the years to come. And I'm super excited to share the story. This woman is super interesting, has been all around the world. So let me share with you. Today, we've got entrepreneur, investor, optimist. I love optimists. Ex-Uber executive turned startup consultant, co-founder and managing director of JJ Studio, which is a startup marketing and operations consulting agency, and recently announced Principal at Frontier Ventures. Please welcome to Forever Employable Stories, Julia Limbersky. Hi, Julia. Hey there. Pleasure to be here. I'm thrilled that you're here because your story is amazing. It's inspiring. And the fact you're choosing to do this, to take this Forever Employable journey from this point forward is really exciting. And I want to dig into why you're doing that. But before we get into that, Let's just catch people up a little bit. So tell the folks a little bit about yourself and your career and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Yeah, as you mentioned, I've bounced around the world quite a bit. Originally from Russia, spent nearly half my life in Germany, some years in the UK, Netherlands, US, on and off. And during this whole process, I was lucky enough to get started in the startup world fairly early on while I was still in high school. Stumbled upon that world, found it interesting, and yeah, did some internships and quickly, basically, while still in high school, started my own startup. It failed miserably, but it was a great lesson in terms of what not to do, but also that I'm really passionate about kind of creating something out of nothing and realizing my ideas through startups. And so since then, over a bit of a decade now, I've been working at some larger tech companies such as Uber, such as Rocket Internet whom I've been launching new ventures and heading up new departments across operations and marketing. But I also had some of my own businesses, like you've mentioned, JJ Studio, which has been my main focus for the past year and a half, where we work with a lot of hyper-growth startups to help them scale marketing and operations. 
And then the other kind of aspect of my life has been investing for nearly 15 years or so now. Started in day trading, then moved into real estate. And then most recently, the last few years, I've been doing a lot of angel investing. And even more recently, as of a month ago, now joined a VC firm. Amazing. Let's rewind that just a little bit because startup in high school, right? Now, look, I sold Jolly Rancher candies when I was a kid for with, with a 500% markup when I was a kid. That was my first startup, right? But I was 10. Tell us a little bit about this, the, the high school startup. What was that about? Why even do that? Most kids aren't even thinking about starting a business when they're in high school. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I kind of always thought I'm going to do something related to business. The thing is, I had no idea what that means, to be honest. I remember back in my tweens, early teens, I just knew that my dad wore a suit. And I guess that that's kind of <laughs> what business was for me at that, at that <laughs> point. Um, but then when I was about 15, I stumbled upon the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That just kind of gave me a bit of a better understanding. And so over the last, over the next two years after that, I just devoured every book I could find about kind of businesses and kind of early stage startups. And then when I was 17, I had met a friend who had this startup, which was my first kind of real experience to one. He was kind enough to offer me an internship. So I was doing that kind of, you know, after, after my classes in high school. And then very quickly, so the, the startup was in the field of online couponing. It was about the same time, I think, that Groupon started launching in the US, so kind of in, back in 2010, 11. I found it really interesting and I just generally love anything that has to do with efficiencies. And it just at that point seemed like a great win-win of businesses get more customers, customers get to save money. But the way that the industry worked back then was just super inefficient. Like you would, it was be really hard to find a deal. You would be like spammed with a bunch of deals that just have nothing to do with, with you as a person. Right. Then you would, you know, buy something and then you would need three days that you need to wait before you get like an email that you don't need to print out and then present that. So it was just back in the day, super inefficient. So after doing an internship, you know, at this couponing startup, I felt that, you know, it can be done better. So created my own team with some industry veterans in, in Munich, where I lived back then, raised a little bit of angel funding. And yeah, we were off to the races. The market started really heating up in Germany generally. A lot of, including Rocket Internet, who then in the end, got bought by, by Groupon to establish an international presence, uh, launched around the same time as us. But we, again, differentiated quite a bit by having, you know, very kind of niche-specific deals. Like we had like mummydeals.com, B2B deals, like all those sort of things, just to make it smarter on the marketing and kind of acquisition side of things, but then also the processes of, you know, making deals available immediately via text rather than having to print stuff and so on. So um, that's kind of what the idea was back then. And again, it was my first experience leading a team and, you know, raising funds and doing all these great things. It failed miserably about a year after, even though we grew it pretty quickly, we were the third biggest competitor at that point. The first wow. two got each sold for over hundred million each. So we were kind of, you know, also gearing up and excited for a potential exit. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, our entire tech infrastructure at some point collapsed. I had made the mistake of entrusting the entirety of the tech to somebody and did not have the know-how myself. So at that point, it just didn't make sense with the market consolidating as quickly as it was um, to rebuild the platform. So we kind of, you know, shut it down. I learned my lesson, went on to go to Stanford a couple, like a year later to take some computer science courses to make sure I can speak that language and, you know, this doesn't happen to me again. But yeah, that was the first story. That's amazing. I mean, really, just the fact that, the fact that you're raising money in high school and then you're number three in the country 
the top two competitors are getting acquired for $100 million. Like, yeah, it's pretty pretty good graduation gift, right? You know, <laughs> most, I think, folks wish for was like, maybe I get a car for graduation. Like, I, might get a, I might get $100 million, right? That'd be pretty great. would have been lovely. <laughs> yeah, it would have been lovely, right? But look, I mean, the, the lesson that you learned here is a, is a really good one, right? It's especially as, as you're looking to kind of start these ventures is, look, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you do need to be able to speak the language and get a sense of what what's happening so that, you know, there's not a, a single point of failure in this case. Amazing. So look, when I introduced you, I listed all of the various titles. There's a lot of stuff there and you've, you've done a tremendous amount. Now that you're looking to create a bigger public persona, a bigger personal brand, lead a bit with, with your experience and your thought leadership, how do you focus? How do you choose which elements of all of those things that you've done so far and all the achievements that you have and the experience that you have, how do you decide where to focus your personal brand? Because a lot of folks who go down this particular path, they'll say, I have no idea what to talk about. I like this, I like that, and I like this other third thing. I have no idea where to start. You've got a lot a lot happening. How do you choose where to, where to focus? Yeah, to be honest, it's a, it's a huge challenge for me as well for various reasons. Like One is kind of the international aspect of my life, like having build careers and ventures all over the world. And for a lot of these countries, like for example, if I would choose to build a LinkedIn brand, that wouldn't work in Russia because LinkedIn is completely blocked there and inaccessible, right? So there's a lot of these difficulties for building a global brand or represents all the countries that I've had an impact in. But at the same time that I have fairly different industries, like I would love to talk more about my real estate investing, but that's, you know, not as closely aligned to the hyper growth startup stuff I'm doing. Right. And then just generally, because I'm just doing so many things at the same time. So if you look at my personal brand right now, I've been trying over the last few years to establish it, but it's just very kind of all over the place. So I have like recently New York Times writing about so my real estate investments, as I mentioned, whereas Authority Magazine talks about my international journey with immigration. Business Insider talks about the actual ability to do multiple jobs at the same time and so on. So it's, it's quite, it's my, my personal brand so far has been fairly, I would say, opportunistic. So in terms of if I see something on Haro, Help a Reporter Out, that fits in with some sort of thing that I have done in the past, I would just, you know, go for that opportunity. But I... I didn't until recently have really this unifying strategy of like, what is my voice? What is the strategy? I've been doing more of that thinking lately. And actually what's really helped me is realizing that maybe I cannot do it by myself. Maybe it's really helpful to have like an external third party to bounce ideas against, to be interviewed by, and then them to tell my story back to me and, and you know, this kind of process. So for the last six months or so, I've been working with different coaches some agencies and some freelancers to try to understand a little bit more what is this consistent story, this line throughout all of my experiences. And then also more specifically, how do I then bring this to certain channels? Like for example, engaged coach for LinkedIn specifically. There's a lot of details within LinkedIn that I just no idea about. Like if you put your external link you're pointing to in the first comment versus in the actual text, you know, you get like twice as many views of that post, you know, or like how do you actually research the right hashtags, like, you know, little things like that, that can really make or break your presence there. It's really worth the investing of a couple hundred bucks to get this expertise from someone. And then also just having like a thought partner to maybe like review the content before you put it out, or even just keep you to a schedule. 
that's for me been the other really big challenge of kind of finding the discipline with a million other things that are always going on in my life to be also, you know, sticking to the consistency that you need to build that personal brand. That's great. I want to just kind of recap a couple of things that you said, because a lot of really useful, valuable things that you're doing that the folks listening can take away. So there's Harrow, help a reporter out, which is you go to that website, you sign up for specific alerts, and they send you a couple of emails every day with reporters' requests for experts and expertise on very specific topics. And then if you decide that you are a fit or a match for some of these requests, you can respond. And if they like you, then you get to participate in this article or whatever they're doing, which gets your name out there. So that's a really good technique. LinkedIn, obviously, for professionals being sort of the the adult Twitter these days, <laughs> to, to some extent, and maybe a little bit more than that. But I love, the, I love the sense of like, look, the realization that maybe some external support can help and goes a long way. Getting a coach, working with a coach, and look, it's humbling, right? It's humbling to, to decide to say, look, I can't do this by myself. Or at the very least, I could be doing this better with if somebody was out there just giving me some, some neutral feedback, some unbiased feedback, building discipline, holding me accountable, which is super valuable. And it's good, it's good to hear that you're doing that because, again, you're very successful. And so the fact that successful people are doing this, that's a testament to this. I, look, I have a coach as well. I have a business coach. I work with a marketing agency, that type of thing. And those folks help keep my work honest as well. So really, really good to hear. I just want to make sure that, that people recognize that, that those are very specific things that you could put into action immediately. So look, we're talking a lot about putting yourself out there and building your personal brand and how successful you've been to date. The question that comes up, really, I think a a lot of folks might ask is why? You're busy. You've got work to do, (laughs) right? You've got got all kinds, as a VC principal, as, as a startup mentor, as an advisor, investor, why build a personal brand? Why thought leadership? Why now? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a couple of different answers. And I think maybe just to answer, I just want to take a step back and maybe share how I'm just thinking right now about what my personal brand could be. Because again, it's hard to focus it. And so I think what I'm going to be focusing on for the next few years is two separate brands. One is the professional and one is the more kind of personal one. On the personal one, the sad truth is there are not a lot of young immigrant women in leadership roles at VCs or at you know large tech startups, leading departments, etc. And I do think that I want to be that sort of role model. I do think I have an interesting story to tell that can inspire hopefully more young women, more immigrants, et cetera, to be going for these very prestigious roles and to be achieving success in these industries that you know are not as typical, unfortunately, to choose. And I also want to be able to, obviously, I've already achieved some success in my career, but I do think you know, I'm right now 29 years old. I think there's a lot still to come. And I just want to take also people on the journey with me. So rather than just showing like, hey, I'm done with my career and this is how it looked like, actually being able to side by side with other ambitious young people create these successes. So that's on the personal side of things. On the professional side of things, if you want to really tie together all the things that I have done over the past decade or so, I think the main component is hyper growth startups and like what happens once a company has some product market fit validation, once it sees some initial traction, there's somewhat of product there and they're ready to kind of step on the gas and expand rapidly. 
as was the case with Uber, as was the case with many rocket internet ventures, as well as of my own, I've seen this stepping on the gas and, and starting hypergrowth many, many times. And I've seen it fail many times. I've seen it succeed and why they succeed. And it's just such a critical topic that is doesn't have a ton of thought leadership yet. Most thought leaders, they focus either on the very early stages, like how do you get started with a startup or, you know, how do you run a more established company? But there is a lot to be said about, you know, the stepping on the gas moment of hyperscaling from a point of view of marketing and growth channels, from product, from operations, recruiting, et cetera. There's a lot of things that I think I can share as my expertise. And so I've done that a lot now with JJ Studio, where again, we work with these hypergrowth startups. We usually come in at the stage where they're like ramping up for their A round and, you know, have all these great promises they promise to their investors and they get the money. And now the question is, okay, how do we actually execute across so many different priorities simultaneously? And that's where we come in and with our expertise, build these things up. And so in a way, I see it as I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but I just feel like, you know, there is a gap right now in this knowledge. And I, I see every day with JJ Studio how valuable this knowledge and expertise is. So I definitely want to fill this kind of professional brand space with content on these topics. And with that as well, I noticed that previously, obviously I've utilized this knowledge within certain companies like Uber, but I'm very shockingly, surprisingly, about a year and a half ago, I actually got laid off from my role at Uber. Back then, I was the head of central operations for UberWorks, which was Uber's staffing platform. And even though we were doing incredibly well, and um, you know we've been scaling like crazy, we've hired, brought on almost 100,000 W2 workers, expanded to three states, etc., in within just one year of launch. So really kind of a great example for hypergrowth. And all the metrics were doing great, but then something external force comes along with the pandemic, core business suffers, revenue is down 90%, top price is down. You know, Uber is in a position where they need to really conserve cash. And so kind of that's why the entire department of UberWorks and you know, some other kind of newer businesses were axed kind of overnight. So that was, again, a huge shock for me, given how well we were doing. Never in my mind did it cross my mind that, that I would be laid off or the company would be shut down. And the things that happened with JJ Studio were as a direct result of the sort of professional brand I had already accidentally, I guess, created because I've had people reach out to me basically as soon as UberWorks was shut down saying like, hey, sorry to hear about what happened, but like, can you help us with this? Like, we know you're good at this. We know you've seen this before. And so I just started taking some of these calls more for my close kind of network to start with. And then it just started kind of snowballing into JG Studio, which is now a well over seven figure startup consulting agency that really just spun out of this personal kind of reputation and brand that I had with the great work I had uh, been doing at Uber previously. Amazing. I want to talk about the Uber story in just a second. I want to talk about that because that's a reality for a lot of folks today, especially with the pandemic and now really thinking about next steps. But there's, there's one thing I want to call out here that you said earlier is really because you're doing so much, one of the things that you were looking for was a common thread, a narrative to weave through all of those experiences and then identify something that not only is a common thread to your experience, but is unique enough or not so heavily covered that you could plant a flag and build a platform and and thought leadership around that thing and hypergrowth startups, right? So you're like, look, a lot of folks know how to start a startup. I know a lot of folks know how to 
run a big company, but but the, the in-between phase is missing that kind of focus. And that's where my expertise is. That's where I'm going to plant my flag. And I love that. I love that because look, a, a lot of folks, again, struggle to say, well, look, I know a lot of stuff. Everything's already been done. Everything's already been said. How do I refine my experience into something that people want to listen to? So that's a really good example of that. Okay. Let's talk about getting laid off from Uber because that's really interesting, right? You told us that it happened a year and a half ago. Everything was going great. Pandemic kills Uber business temporarily, but they're like, okay, how do we cut costs? This is a whole thing we can just lop off despite it doing well. Getting laid off sucks. Let's just say it. It never feels great, (laughs) right? Even if you hated your job, right? (laughs) A lot of folks see getting laid off as being knocked down, right? Ugh, they didn't like me. I had a boss once who who always was wary of somebody who got laid off. Like he was interviewing somebody and they got laid off. He said, well, the company didn't fire everybody. So why did they choose you, right? To lay you off, which is always a negative way to start a conversation with somebody. And a lot of folks see it that way. Like I got, they didn't like me. I was a low performer. And then there are other folks who see getting laid off as the kick in the ass they need to do that thing that they've always wanted. You come into work, you're kicking ass at work, and then the whole department gets cut. How did you see it? I mean, for me, honestly, it was shock. (laughs) It was still the major reaction because it just didn't make sense at all from a business standpoint to be shutting down the entity that was at that point the best performing entity at Uber. (laughs) And then also cutting some of the best talent. I was always in awe at how amazing the team was at UberWorks. I mean, I had spent many years at other departments within the company and UberWorks was really just the top of the top at Uber and kind of without regard for their performance or anything, just axing the entire team. You know, it was just a surprising business decision for me. Yeah. My next reaction then was, I had at this point a team of 70, like running the kind of the entire operations team, sales teams, et cetera. So my next reaction was making sure everyone lands on their feet. So that kind of kept me busy for a couple of weeks, making sure, you know, I make the referrals, introduction, et cetera. Everyone's doing really well now. And that's for me just super rewarding to see that everyone seized the opportunity that a layoff can be at times, as you said. And a lot of people have now created their own companies as well, or doing consulting or have landed some really exciting jobs that are fulfilling. So all in all, I think everyone's is in a good spot. But then for me, like, as you said, it does push you into things that you wouldn't feel comfortable doing otherwise. I mean, I initially started obviously as a founder and then went a more corporate route working for some of these larger tech companies, but always with the goal of starting my own thing again. But as you get higher up in, in the corporate ladder, as you get a nicer benefits package and a nice travel miles and the nice this and that, it's getting harder and harder to say, I'm going to quit today and start that, that thing I've been wanting to do. Yeah. So in that regard, it's definitely, it's been a great motivation <laughs> to be doing something. But then again, again, since it was so surprising, it also didn't quite give me the opportunity to think about what is that new thing. And so this new thing that I've been doing now with JG Studio was more an opportunity that just came about, as I mentioned, just because of the reputation and, and professional brand I had developed. But I'm super happy about it. And especially drawing the differences and values and work style between what life looked like when I was working at Uber versus what my life looks like right now. 
when Janisa uh, Hongset and I co-founded JJ Studio, the first thing we did is she was in the same situation. She was six years at Uber, running all of the cities and, and states that we had at UberWorks. So very similar kind of kind of our work week, <laughs> kind of close to burnout corporate life as I had experienced. And so when we co-founded JJ Studio, we sat down together and tried to figure out, okay, how do we want to differentiate what our corporate life looked like from this more purpose-driven life that we're leading now. And we had developed some values around not letting work control our life, for example, like it happens Uber when you have a boss and so on that just can control you in, in different ways around being happy with what you do at least 75% of the time and so on. So that's definitely been a great difference in how we approach work and life from being employed and then using the opportunity of a layoff to rethink how we want to be living our lives. Amazing, amazing. And look, it's ultimately the desired state, but it's tough, right? It's tough. You, you know, you can be like, I just lost my job for seemingly no reason, right? We were the best performing unit at the business. And so as this, the way I always think about it is like, well, okay, this is an opportunity to write a story or to share something, to share an experience. Have you been able to take this experience and turn it into stories that you can share? I've been trying to do so more and more over the past year. Definitely have much more opportunity to do so than when I was at Uber. Yeah, for example, a year after the layoff, I shared something on LinkedIn, which got I think something like 200,000 views. So thousands of, of like likes and dozens of comments as well. So definitely I see that there's a lot of, especially during these tough times these days, there's a lot of need for hearing these sort of stories and seeing that there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel and that you can turn these situations around into something positive. Also, with some of the interviews that I've been doing lately, I've been talking more openly about this experience of going from a layoff to true career transformation and a much just happier and more balanced life. And yeah, I'm hoping now as I've defined my brand a little better to be sharing it much more widely. That's great. And look, I think, I think again, that's, that's something that I want to call out is that ultimately this, this turned out to be a positive thing for you. But initially, right, this was, an, this was a, a disappointing and negative thing. That's an opportunity to share a story and to validate that journey for others. Look, a lot of us have been laid off over the years. Certainly in the last couple of years, a lot of folks have felt that pain, right? So if there's somebody sharing, if this happened to you and you share that story, you're validating those feelings and that journey for a lot of other folks as well. And maybe you're giving them some motivation in, in the process. So that's, that's really great. Another thing that's really interesting about you is that you're a global person. You've lived all over the world. You've worked all over the world. You speak multiple languages. And that presents a tremendous opportunity, but also an interesting challenge. The challenge of if you're going to start to share your expertise and try to build this platform and try to become forever employable, how do you choose which language to write in, which language to share? And do you change that based on a desired audience or desired results? So how many languages do you speak really quick? Three fluently and uh, some others less fluently. <laughs> okay, right on. Okay, terrific. And so, so then like, how do you think about that? How do you think about where to approach language and direction and, and, and based on, on what factors? Yeah, so here again, I didn't have a strategy to begin with. So I first started developing my kind of personal brand back in Germany, had some interesting articles and interviews, but obviously... That is just not very kind of usable content at this point because, you know, it's all in German. And then when I was in Russia as the head of Uber Eats in Russia, there I definitely had a much more 
well-known brands, I have a lot of interviews in like Forbes, Inc., you know, all of these larger magazines, but again, only all in Russian. And then on top of that, all of it with my old last name, uh, I got married a year ago. So now, you know, it's really hard to find those sort of great publications and, and kind of tie them back to me. So now since moving to the U.S. a couple of years ago, I'm starting to realize that, unfortunately, and I'm not able to really use those, those past publications and kind of trying to think on more globally. I think the answer is, lies in not just figuring out the language or something, but really figuring out that who is the target audience of your personal brand, right? Like, do I need it to be millions of people all around the world or is it... 5,000 people spread across, you know, these four countries, kind of just, just, I'm feeling that it, I personally want to become, especially for my, the professional side of my brand, much more targeted. And from that, then from creating this kind of persona and this targets, I can then understand, okay, what language, what outlets, et cetera, do I want to be focusing on? There are some conflicts, as I mentioned, for example, with LinkedIn that I cannot be utilizing for Russia because it's blocked there. But, you know, like figuring out these workarounds after I realize who's the target audience. Because I see a lot of people trying just to be everywhere at once. And I also, you know, as I've been thinking about launching my personal brand, I've been thinking, you know, TikTok or Instagram or like all these different things, maybe YouTube. But I'm just realizing that I don't think I'm the TikTok personality or it's really a channel that I enjoy. So why don't I focus more on kind of the written content and the channels that I, I choose to do so in, in terms of language? pretty certain I want to be sticking to English now because the target audience that I am looking to kind of communicate to will be fluent in English no matter kind of which country it is since we're talking about kind of the tech startup world. And yeah, that's kind of how I'm I'm starting to develop these key outlet target lists to focus on in the future. That's great. Right. And again, this is this is really important is to is to develop that target persona for your desired audience. Right. And if your desired audience speaks English, then you should be speaking English to those folks, right? And and if, if they speak a different language that you speak, then terrific. You can cater to them in that language as well, which is which is perfect, a perfect approach. Creating a personal brand is the has been the theme of our conversation here today. And from your perspective, how do you think it's going to help you future proof your career? And how will you know that it's working? What success measures are are you looking for to tell you that this effort is worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think I already saw it in action with this, you know, being laid off and then immediately getting consulting opportunities because of the reputation. So scaling that further, and I think it's it's pretty easy to measure it on a professional brand side of things, you know, new opportunities to consult, advise, invest, you know, as an investor, especially now doing more angel investing, but also being a VC, I'm seeing that my already now only just starting professional brand on LinkedIn, et cetera, is getting me amazing deal flow. Like yesterday, two days ago, when I posted about the announcement of joining the VC firm, you know, within a couple of hours, I had 30 plus amazing startup decks in my inbox, just because of kind of the following I had started building. So wow. I think these sort of metrics in terms of, you know, deal flow for investments in terms of even amazing conversations, like some, some of the brand building I've been doing recently, with Forbes, like led me to have some incredible conversations and friendships. So I definitely want to kind of include that as well in my metrics of success, like, you know, the, the great people I meet along the way. Down the line, I'd love to maybe go through like a book deal or something like that. That would be an amazing success metric for me as well. And then on the personal brand, again, 
the personal brand is not about for me, you know, selling something or I, I just rather, you know, as you mentioned in your book as well, I just want to like give it all away and just like be this inspiring story of like, here's how I did it. This is the step-by-step process, how I was able to combine this career to this or how I was able to immigrate to this country or how I was able to, you know, like something really actionable and kind of the measurement of success for me would be to receive like a message from somebody saying like, hey, thank you so much for sharing this. This is the success I've achieved as a result of your inspiration or your practical tips. If I get even a handful of such messages, I know that all the work and effort spent on creating this personal brand was more than worth it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when, when a note like that comes in. Every now and again, an email comes in and says, thanks for writing that. Thanks for sharing that. That really helped me validate the path that I'm on. And that, yeah, you're right. It makes, it makes it all worth it. All right, last question. And this one's a little selfish, frankly, because if I look back on my career, I always find myself showing up late to everything. If you look at where, 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 how I've ended up in my career, I always kind of miss the crest of the, of the popularity or the wave. And you seem to be on the opposite. You seem to be at the beginning of all these waves. So well done there. So this last question for you is this. We've talked a lot over the course of not only this series of podcasts, but this conversation that we're having today about the various channels that people have available to them, LinkedIn and YouTube, and TikTok and Medium and personal blogs and that type of thing. Looking forward, and let's put a time frame on it of two to five years, right? So trying to predict the future without looking 10 or more years in the future. From your perspective, given all the experience and the exposure that you have to the startup world and what's kind of happening out there, what do you think successful channels for sharing brand building, thought leadership, building community, right? Just kind of doing these types of activities. What do you think successful channels might be looking forward two to five years? Where are we going to be hanging out in two to five years? That's a great question. One of the big trends I can see happening is similarly how we move from like mass media to like much more like niche media and, you know, smaller streaming channels and all that. I think that a lot of the kind of personal brand channels as well that we see right now, like TikTok and Instagram and so on, it's going to be less about the kind of celebrity status influencers with millions of of views and followers and much more about, I think, micro influencers are going to become a much bigger thing. So what the ultimate platform will be is to be seen. But I think just focusing on rather than the kind of having the quantity, people will flock to finding smaller influence people that are much more similar to them in their state of life and following them just much more closely and engaging and much more closely conversation not just kind of watching their stories but actually engaging with these influencers so that's something i definitely can foresee on the other hand i mean obviously video format will continue being huge and you see this tiktok now as well but it really depends like who are you and like what generation you're in, what kind of your preferences are, and also like what generation preferences does the audience that you have. Just because every 15 to 20 year old now is on TikTok does not mean that you need to do your career coaching, influencing, whatever on the same platform just because it's hot right now, right? I think it's just key to do what comes naturally because, you know, with a personal brand, again, it requires a lot of discipline. It's something that will take years to pay off. So like, if you need to be comfortable in the medium that you choose, you shouldn't be forcing yourself to do certain things you don't understand or you don't like doing. So yeah, I think just kind of focusing on the smaller number, but a higher kind of impact communication with each follower and in a channel that suits you. 
And in terms of the actual platforms, again, we see them new platforms popping up all the time. I don't think there's a clear clear window of like what it's gonna where it's gonna go, but just kind of you know reading the tech news and seeing if you want to be an early adopter of one or the other. That's what I would recommend. Terrific. Thank you, Julia, for sharing your forever unpullable story with us today. Fascinating, interesting, and I know I learned a lot. And all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.